Hey, Rockheads. This is Music to Code by Track 12. Check this out. Oh, yeah. Just what you need to get in the zone when you write code. And get this. We just added a site license. Download it once, share it with everybody in your office. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Net Rocks, episode 1317, with guest Paul Stack. Recorded Wednesday, June 8th, 2016. Hey, 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 it's .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We're on the floor at... Uh, where the heck are we? We're Oslo? in Oslo. It's NBC. I knew we were somewhere in Eight Europe. Eight straight years, man. Yeah, it's true. It's a good show. It's an awesome show. Yeah, such and a we always here. love doing it, and we always get great, great shows from here. I'm super excited. Yeah, very excited. So uh, I, I do still apologize for my voice. It's not quite... Uh, not quite you have been there. lubricating it with your magic Marka potion. I have the magic maker's Marka potion. It's uh, cough syrup. It is cough syrup. Yeah, it's cough medicine. Fine, or as fine. Granny Clampett used to say, rheumatism medicine. Nice. Yeah. All right. Does the trick. Let's get rolling with uh, Better No Framework. Awesome. All right, dude. What do you got? So an alert listener... Piotr Kankiewicz, sorry Piotr if I ruined your name, uh, is a software developer from Poland who started blogging recently and within the last three months he's created an open source library named Warden, Warden. W-A-R-D-E-N, written on top of the latest .NET Core platform which hmm. aims to simplify monitoring. So it's a sort of a telemetry thing. Interesting. Yeah, and so if you go to getwarden.net... Or, you know, this is show 1317. So 1317.pwop.me. Uh, this is um, just right what he says. It's built with C Sharp on top of the latest version of .NET Framework. Available as a NuGet package and on GitHub. Manageable with a web panel. It's open source and cross-platform. And you can create your monitoring service with just a few lines of code. And he's, you know... The promise is never miss again any possible system failure or downtime that costs money. Hmm. Collect the custom data and build your own metrics. Uses convention over configuration, always good. Has real-time statistics and makes use of callbacks or hooks to define your own methods that will consume the data. Get notifications exactly when some failure happens. Collect the data for further processing and statistics. There's a web panel uh, and dashboard, and it's completely extendable. So... Good, Piotr. I don't know because um, I haven't used it, but you did send us an email and said you wanted uh, people to know about this. So there you go. Good luck. Yeah. That's it. 
That's really neat, man. Getwarden.net. So who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off a of show 1265, the one we did with Jakob Yendrisik. We talked about building the Azure portal. Yeah. One of the biggest hunks of JavaScript you ever did see. Right. Let's call it a super spa. <laughs> and John Hilton had this awesome comment. This is from a couple of months ago. He says, I'm really impressed by how much the portal has come along since it was known as the, quote, preview portal. I've just been using it to delete some old test apps that were no longer in use. Why? Because I got a bill for five pounds on a subscription I didn't think was doing anything. Ooh. And the new portal makes it really easy to spot where your money's going. Yep. The biggest problem I see right now with Azure is the sheer volume of, quote, stuff available when you log on to the portal. To anyone new to Azure, I suspect it's totally overwhelming. I guess the trick is to focus on what you need to do. Once you have a clear purpose in mind, then the portal springs into life and helps you achieve that purpose. As for performance, it definitely feels pretty nippy these days, and I think the Blade concept works really well. It's no mean feat to display that much information without compromising the overall design, and the Blade system seems to offer the right balance between accessibility and detail. Yeah. I'm not going to argue with you at all there, John. It was a nice, well said, and I totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, John, for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. And send us a tweet. We, We... send them through our callback functions. I don't know. We floss our cats with them. <laughs> we sprinkle cheese dust on them and wave them at mice. Why? Where were you the last time I needed a joke? Did you just make that up? That's awesome. <laughs> we help mold cottage cheese with them. <laughs> You're killing me, Campbell. That's great. We picked them up and make impressions of cookies. <laughs> stop. Not stop. those kind of cookies. I can't breathe here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> With that, let me introduce our guest today, Paul Stack. Paul is a London-based infrastructure coder. He's passionate about continuous integration and continuous delivery. He believes they should be part of what developers and system administrators do on a day-to-day basis and thinks that reliably delivering software is more important than its development. Paul's passions are the DevOps and continuous delivery movements and how they help the entire business and its customers. Welcome, Paul. Hello. Thanks for having me. So you sound like a guy who's as much like, when is DevOps just going to be software development? <laughs> DevOps has sprung up to be so many things in the past few years recently. It's, yeah. like, the, it's like the new buzzword, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's I, like clickbait. I've, I've been oh. describing it as it comes in a squirt ball. You spray it on developers, they go faster. <laughs> it's just like Agile was a few years or ago. Or from a keynote recently, you can sprinkle some DevOps on things. Nice. Yeah. That, who was that? Was that Donovan Brown? That was Brown? Donovan Brown. Yeah, it was Donovan, Donovan Brown. Yeah. 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 a little DevOps on that. He's hilarious. Although he then turned around and demonstrated it. Right? Yeah. As much as he said, I'm going to sprinkle some DevOps on it. It was like, I get this tool and this tool and click, 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 click. And, you know, here we yeah. go. A little faster, a little better. It's an interesting reality we're living in. Oh, it's completely changed. Completely changed. How has it changed you? So I was a developer who was very frustrated at how actually software was being released and developed. Right and thought that it would be a lot more fun to be involved in the actual releasing of the systems. 
on the monitoring of the systems and how they actually ran in production. You were going to be an operations guy? Yeah, That's I'm crazy talk. I know, I know. It's like those people usually sit on their, on their stairs and eat pizza. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and curse the developers for breaking things again. I know, but now <laughs> it seems as though it's become a little more mainstream yeah. and people don't just eat pizza anymore. Sometimes they're sushi. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they're, they're actually involved a lot more in how systems are built these days, which is fantastic. And, and that's what keeps me actually quite interested in what I do. Yeah. And what was the, the sort of key to that? Is it come down to the monitoring, like having the ability to give detailed feedback on how software's being used? So it sort of started for me very early on in my career in the fact that I joined a company that I was asked to do some work on mm -hmm. and I asked my boss where the software was and he pointed to a machine under his desk and said you have to remote desktop into that machine and that's the only machine that runs this system. Wow. Nice. And from there you have to copy the C sharp files up to the server. It wasn't even pre-compiled. Right. And I sort of realized then that there was maybe slightly better ways of doing this. <laughs> <laughs> And even back as a junior developer, I realized that that was probably not the most optimal. A little and dangerous. I've, yeah. So I started doing a lot more talking about it. I originally started speaking about continuous integration, then started finding continuous delivery aspect of it, started running some workshops to try and help people understand how their software actually should flow to production. And right. you know, the little things like don't rebuild your binaries more than once. Mm. Um, uh, you know. Everything should be configuration. Nothing should be really hard-coded. Right. Yeah. And um, uh, that was just after I read Jez Humble's book, the continuous delivery book, right. which is Great by book. far the seminal the yeah. book. Absolutely. For, from a, especially for a dev. For right? sure. Like but I'm, I'm a big AllSpa fan coming from the web operations side. Yes. But, and then, you know, but I think those two books mesh really nicely. They, they very much do. And yeah. um, it was funny that I actually read that just after I had watched the talk by AllSpa. and right. um, the 10 deploys Paul a day. Hammond, yeah. The Flickr. original, original. The, that's the original yeah. DevOps talk. And that's, um, so getting into it in that space was was very interesting to me. And and development has come on, had come on so much in the five years with the tooling and all the different systems that there were there. And yeah. then all of a sudden I realized that, you know what, this is actually going to start exploding in the operation space so I could actually be part of helping shape what com the companies that I was working with and what they were doing. Not, and not just by writing code. Exactly. That's really interesting. Exactly. So yeah. it was, it, it's been a, a fascinating journey. And um, I've, I've, I've been through a few companies now actually going and helping them understand it yeah. and, and by far helping them understand their flow and how actually, you know, pointing out the areas of waste, not telling them that they must do lean. Right, it's, it's, it's a particular it, way to do exactly. this. Exactly, yeah. it's, it's value stream mapping. Right. And they can really start to take advantage of the fact that spotting areas of waste, they can cut out the, that wasted time releasing their systems. And so the waste in this case is time. It's time. like you're spinning your wheels here unnecessarily. So it's, um, it's, it's value stream mapping. So you right. would plot the time it takes from when the start of the process happens until when the process completely finishes. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and by spotting the areas of time wasted, you can cut that out because it can be all measured and it, it's part of your cycle time. Right. You can reduce the cycle time. And I got to imagine a bunch of those are manual steps. Very much. And a lot of times, it's the two areas are QA and server automation for uh, waiting on provisioning systems. Right, mm. provisioning. And mm. both of those can be solved really easily. Like that, you know, automating QA these days is not... Especially when you mix the cloud into the equation. 
Right? I've built big test labs because our testing was taking 30 hours, but you just can't spend that kind of money now, and you don't need to when you can call up Azure and say, give me a 1,000 instances for 10 minutes. Or use a service like uh, Amazon has a testing service and, yeah. and the Xamarin Test Cloud, for Same example. thing, yeah. clouds of, of test machines. Yeah. And not all, so there are tools now that are even so multi-platform that you don't even have to say give me a thousand instances of Azure right. give me a hundred instances of AWS you just say give me a thousand instances and you can balance yeah. it across multi-cloud multi platforms and it's all basically the same thing exactly That's and awesome. does it matter which cloud provider you use are they generally all that have the same issues or are some worse than or better than others there are you some like that question, that do you? Is, that is a tough question. That, that could, this, could, this could go a rant. That's fine. Please rant away. So for the last three months, I've actually been automating uh, the ARM Azure Resource Manager oh, yeah. using the Go SDK. Okay. Really? Oh, look, look at this look on his face. It's what? like, oh, so yeah. So you're using There's a Google stuff. Yeah, I'm using Go yeah. to, to automate I, I do, Azure. I'm a, an open source contributor to a tool called Terraform which is by, ha by HashiCorp. Okay. And they are the creators of Vagrant and uh, Packer. Yeah. And which are very cool tools. Yeah. yeah. So Terraform is actually uh, a tool which is the multi-platform, multi-cloud provider tool. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I've been uh, contributing some code back to the, the ARM resource manager of that. Interesting. Um, it and has been, been, it has bitten me a lot. <laughs> there are some issues that I, I have to say they're being addressed. There yeah. are some that just are not being addressed. Yeah. Documentation is one. Yeah. Unfortunately, Microsoft in this instance... They're moving so fast. They are, but their documentation is auto-generated from the swagger that the SDAs are, SDKs are auto-generated from. <laughs> oh, man. So it's a generated, generated documentation. Yes. Boy, that probably makes it lousy. And not just that. It's fragmented. So if... Swagger releases the documentation first, or the updates to the documentation first before the SDK. Right. Then you're trying to develop an SD against an SDK that has out of date documentation. I always love documentation. You look it up, and it's method that says like I don't know, frame builder. You know, and it, it says this is the method that builds a frame. <laughs> Thank you very much. And I've, I, I have to say I'm responsible for some style of documentation like that. There was a feature. You start somewhere, I there guess. There was a feature that an Azure uh, developer actually asked for in Terraform. And mm -hmm. it was like, enable IPv4 forwarding right. uh, for network interfaces. And I was like, tell me what the documentation is, just so I can put it in the, in the yeah. uh, Terraform documentation. He was like, there is none at the minute. So I actually said, enables IPv4 <laughs> forwarding. That's all it's done. That was my documentation. It's like, it. come on, really? You're looking yeah. in the docs for this? Yeah. <laughs> why are you here? Yeah, why so are I have you to take here? responsibility for something. Go reevaluate your life. Do you, and all these companies you skipped around to, do you find uh, some customers want to be on more than one public cloud? I have yet to find somebody. Hmm. Who really? wants it's to hard to justify more than one public cloud? Not even for redundancy. Not even for redundancy. So, Don't you, a, now AWS. You, you, you agree with us that that's a good idea, right? Yes and no. Okay. Uh, for some things, yes. So, for example, uh, DNS. If you were using a DNS provider in Amazon, you may want to use it somewhere else as a redundancy. Yeah. Point, right. Okay. Whereas it comes to compute instances it doesn't really matter because you have regions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And the regions are so spread out now, and Azure has the same thing, is that the chances of them having 
an issue in more than one region at the same time. It's, it yeah, has happened. But only when it's a logical failure, not a yes, physical failure. exactly. And yeah, that's the, it. I'm thinking of the, wasn't it a le- the leap year crisis a couple of years yeah. ago for Azure that just took them all out? Yeah. yeah. And then you've also had um, some Zen hypervisor uh, failures on Amazon. Right. Uh, but mostly limited to US East. Yeah, so mm. a given data center. Just, given data just, center. Of course, it's their biggest one. So. And that's the and one their that, oldest. Yeah. That's the one that I use. Well, that's the one that everyone uses <laughs> by yeah. default. Right. And Netflix actually used to use that. Yeah. And now if you check, um, if, you, if you do a dig on Netflix, you can actually see it sits in Oregon, US, East, US West too. Wow. So they actually at that point just went, this, no, I'm not going this to has become there. a little flaky. Yeah, I'm going to go somewhere else. Across. I, I think it's really interesting thinking about the cloud providers as a whole about I mean, they're they're got to be turning over hardware now. Like, you you wonder with the race to the bottom for pricing, have they actually paid for some of the, all those data centers? Because hmm. they got to go spend literally billions again for the yeah. next wave of, of servers going into these existing. Well, it doesn't matter if they've paid for the data centers. It matters so they can pay the rent or the lease yeah, or whatever, whatever it is, the term the, is. Whatever right? the term they can but pay their monthly bill. But it's That's, always a question of how sustainable is this really? Yeah. It's not even just the cloud providers that do that. Facebook build their own data centers now. Mm-hmm. And they build their own servers. Yeah. So they don't take well, conventional servers. They well, take... They, they do the open compute. Yes. Right. And then they, they change the power modules on them to make them more efficient. Yeah. They, yeah. they have data centers that have got sensors in the walls that open up the, 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 the different air levels and yeah. the humidity sensors. And it's just... It's, it's become a real science. A data center is actually a complete scientific lab. Yeah, it feels, which is why so many people are taken away from private data centers and going, let's right. let the experts handle this. Yeah, these and people who are spending this billions on it every year, who know it better than we can ever do it, right? And have the best people working and on it. And have the best people working. And on if it. you go to a, a typical data center ISP, where you know maybe they've they're good business, but they've got their own data center, you're not going to be able to get a better price. There's no way. No, but like. I, I live in the UK, and the data centers in London are crazy expensive. Yeah. Like, really crazy expensive. The only benefit is that if you have a, you a can machine, walk you can road. walk down the road, you can go in and look at your machine. But come on, are you really going to do a better job than Azure? But Not if you think in terms of cloud, you never look at physically get near a cloud machine. No. That's the whole thing about cloud architecture, right? It's like... Where is it? Nobody knows. Nobody cares. And not just that. So we used to have this idea that servers were long running. They were our pets. Yeah. 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 And now, when there was a pet, we gave it an identity. Yep. The name Now mattered. we just don't have an identity. It's an instance. It has I dash and then a, a number. Right. Or in uh, Azure, it just has a, a, a simple GUID as part of the ID. Right. And if we think more in terms of that, we're thinking about the fact that our instances can disappear at any point sure. mm-hmm. rather than, oh my God, my web server has disappeared. Yes. What do I do? We, yeah. we typically say they're not pets, they're cattle. Right. So I got told off for that recently. Oh, really? The reason being is I gave it a talk in India. Oh, oh and I idea. completely, <laughs> completely like missed that. it. They d- and I felt so bad when, oh. when one of the guys came at the end and he said, you gotta say some goats. people take offense to it. So there's a new way of thinking. Say right? goats. Not a, um, fine china Chickens. plates and paper plates. Uh, okay. And okay. your mom had an old set of fine 
dine in China that yeah. you they bring out in special occasions and when it broke you would like super glue it together <laughs> keep and, it going yeah and it was you know individually painted and none of them were exactly the same and then you've got a stack of paper plates that you yeah. use them once and you throw them away right. don't care and that's exactly it well and, and the, I realized a while ago this is quite a while ago now I was just simply not upgrading servers anymore I'd build a new set of servers move the traffic over to them and kill the old ones mm. And, and yeah, your name, your naming strategy gets more elaborate when you're constantly making new instances. Like it's just normal. You attach a good or you, you tap some kind of counter because what else could you do? Right? It's I, just too yeah. many instances. I, I used to manage my cloud infrastructure like that. I used to give them names. Right. And I, I, I was a big Puppet user. Mm -hmm. Puppet was managing my infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And I used to have um, regex matches for my names. And when we went in past three numbers in the server, we used to, have to go in and then update the regex in order right. to be a bit more greedy. And it just became a real pain. So yeah. we were just like, right, everything has a role. Mm -hmm. You use tags in AWS and you search for specific servers of a specific tag type. Right. And that's how you manage them. That, that's mm. the end of it. And it was much, much easier. Now, are you, do you stick pretty much strictly with the, VR, the VM in the cloud mindset, like when you're working with these different systems? I am yet to go serverless. Really? really? Yes. Wow. Well, serverless to me is pass. Right. It's yeah. an evolution of pass. Yeah. Sure. It's not new. Sure, Lambda, Azure Functions, mm -hmm. these things are new strategies. Even Azure websites. Um, Heroku. How long yeah. has Heroku been around? Been around a long time. That's serverless, right? Yeah. It's yeah. just we didn't call it serverless when Heroku no. first came on it. We call it platform as a service. Yeah. yeah. If you're not responsible for updating the OS in any way, then so, you're, you're effectively serverless. Yeah. So you really haven't waded into the pool of pass? I have not. Because, man, the water is really nice in here. <laughs> it is, Let but me tell you. it can be dangerous. Mm. But, okay. Ow, tell me. Tell me. I know of people who have been using pass. Yep. And when they launched an application, they got the configuration incorrect and it had to scale and scale and scale. And at one point, they had over a thousand pass based systems. Okay, running. but whose fault is that really? Oh, it's the developer's fault totally. for sure. Yeah, yeah. it's not the pass. You can really the screw yourself up with, with servers too. And pass acted as it should be because yeah. it was configured to say when it hits this threshold, spin up more yeah. and yeah. spin up more. So yeah. it, I just. I, I like to have my VMs, and I yeah. I, I, I actually, because I'm in Amazon, I pre-bake AMIs. Right. Okay. And I actually don't change What's my, an AMI? An AMI, AMI is an please. Amazon machine image. So it's Amazon's uh, custom format for a snapshot in time of what a machine can look like. Gotcha. And where you can spin it up from there. Kay. And if you... When you spin it up, you can either configure it, you can use it that way, mm -hmm. or you can then create a new AMI off that AMI based on yeah. what you've had to do. Right. And the most famous people to do this are Netflix. Yeah, Netflix is kind of the, the unicorn of how far can you take the cloud. Right. And sure they, they actually pre-bake their deployments and their applications into AMIs and only do the AMI hmm. release. Now, are you bullish on containers? I mean, I that's love a containers. pass thing. Right? I love containers. I love what it was supposed to do. I think right now, I think the hype around them is pretty huge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I do think that some people are actually using them incorrectly. People are using oh, them sure to solve are. a packaging problem. Right. Packaging was solved many years ago. Yeah. Right. There are many simple tools that will mm. allow you to package easily now. And, it, uh, and I, I have worked in companies that have one Amazon instance with one single container on it. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it's like... Yeah, what are you doing? What's the point? Yeah. Right, what's the point? What is the point of using a container technology 
in a VM because it takes away everything. And they're like, oh, well, it's easy to deploy. It's you like, know, I can see if you want to go back to the redundancy thing, if you want to have a Docker image that you want to launch one on Amazon, launch one on Google, launch one on Azure, for example, that would make that process a lot easier. Because the tools are exactly the same, and they run the exactly same way. The same, and they run the exact same yeah. binaries. So yeah. you've got to get the networking right, and that can get complicated when you have multiple routes to certain things. It it can certainly get very complex very fast. Yeah, it can. Yeah, round robin localized DNS. Like, I mean, there are services out there, but getting that configured correctly so that you know the near the the you use the nearest data center or your balancing a little between them so you're not dependent on any one of them and you could fail out, like actually take a, out when you lose the data center. Like these, and, and yeah. even, these are not even, small things. Even more simply than that, how containers talk to each other. Yes. Use it without a service discovery story, it becomes very difficult to locate containers using random ports. Sure. I, I, fi I think that the containers are really valuable to the, you know, the people who, let's face it, it's the Linux crowd, right? Right. They, they love being able to have control over every level of their, you know, layer of the cake, for example. Well, layer of the cake, you know, to quote a phrase. Um, and there, there you have, you know, the easy way to sort of spin up multiple instances to scale, you know. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Azure, you just go to the lever and move slide it to the, the right. Slide the knob up, yeah. You slide the knob to the right and let Azure deal with all of that, but... You know, a container is a really great way to spin up multiple instances of something, spin them all down when you're done. But it's so I think it's a scale out issue. It, it certainly is. And, and it's, it, it can be a skill set issue as well. Like sometimes yeah. you have companies who just don't have people who are interested in infrastructure management at all. Right. And moving to a more simple way for them to deploy it, yeah. it is what works for that company. That's what's because difference. most people right now forget that at the end of the day, we have to deliver value for our companies. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about the mindset of, you know, the, 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 the LAMP stack guy or the Linux guy who wants to control everything versus the traditional, let's say, enterprise developer who just wants to get his job done or her job done. And, you know, the enterprise developer is going to look at Azure because they can just, you know, switch buttons and knobs and turn up sliders and stuff and scale things and let Azure deal with the details versus the person who wants to do everything manually. Do you see, what do, what do you see in terms of, I mean, obviously you have customers that are in both camps. What do you see in terms of the future? Uh, uh, because there's less of those guys who are the control freaks. There's less of those developers out there. And so the ones that are employed are gainfully employed and, and busy and busy. Yeah. And the, and the rest of us are just trying to, you know, uh, do our job. What do you think? Personally speaking, we need to just deliver our systems. We're, we're, we're supposedly being paid as professionals and we're being paid in order to deliver something that our, that our, our business wants for our customers. Mm -hmm. How we do that should be the most efficient and the fastest way and the most scalable way. Right. Yeah. And manually creating servers is probably not the most scalable. Yeah. Now, you look at some companies, Etsy, for example. Etsy still run on bare metal. They actually don't run on VMs at yeah. all. Wow. And they have I mean, performance Amazon did guys. for a long time, too. That's right. right. They, they created that crowd product to fix that for themselves mm -hmm. and, and then et started Etsy selling. have got such good performance engineers that they can fine-tune a server so much that they can actually get more scale out of less servers 
than they would scaling up their functioning. And that's just it. I mean, it's, it's a luxury to have people like that who know all those details and technical things be in that you can lean on those guys. It, it's a luxury to have that. But most, most companies don't. And most companies never will because never will. it's a skill that's dying out. Yeah. yeah. And it's a skill that's still very sought after. So you really think the future is, is past here? I think I, I can't see how the average company today can afford to run a data center. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it hard, takes, it's hard to get the skilled resources. It's hard to get the actual instances themselves right. because they're becoming slower and slower to, to bring in from abroad. Say you're, yeah. you're ordering them from China. Ordering the hardware from takes China. some time. It takes a number of time, weeks maybe. Yeah. Most colo facilities I'm looking at right now don't have enough electricity in them. Like they got empty racks, but because machines have got so much more hard powered, they literally didn't pull enough power into the building. And so they don't have... They got or air conditioning. Yeah. yeah, That's another problem. Well, the machines run cooler now too, right? But, but let's say that, okay, we're, not in the, we're in the cloud, but we're still you know, using containers and we're spinning up instances manually and we're controlling every little bit. You know, we're using software as a service, using Amazon as opposed to Azure, like, you know, to generalize. Um, the, the, you know, that breed of people, and we interview these guys, mm -hmm. right? Ben Hall comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's one of these guys that knows every detail of every stack of every piece of software that he's got. And if any one of them isn't right, he'll swap it out for something else. Yeah. And, you know, most people just aren't that knowledgeable that that just need to get things done and so i see that things like azure service fabric for example coming along and saying hey we'll take care of all these uh, issues and you we'll give you know. performance better than you can imagine uh, better more than more more scalability than you need you know, just give you a button now just be careful and sometimes <laughs> even sometimes they don't even give you a button you just get a cli call simple yeah, just a simple command line and yep. i can spin up whatever well and i, th I think when you get to cloud scale, it's got to be all command line stuff. It's got to be scripts. It has to be infrastructure as code. Yeah. You have to be moving in the infrastructure as code space because not only do you want the control of being able to spin up very fast, you also need the audit trail of if something's happened, yeah. you need to be able to identify very quickly what has happened. And, well, and, and that how you means getting it. that stuff, like Vagrant's a great tool in that space as well, right? A little more VM centric. Getting that stuff into source control. 100%. Because the guys who are running it don't think that way. It's like, you, dude, you're making source code now, and you've got to check it in. And you should build tests around it. And we now have a clear chronology of whenever things get changed. So we can go back. Operations guys, whether we like it or not, we're still software engineers. Yeah. We just work on a different, different part of the stack. Different set of code. That's, That's all it is. It's all, and, we're and all coders now. a lot of us now. have felt that a, a lot of operations people that I've spoken to mm -hmm. have certainly thought that that wasn't the case. And they're like, oh, well, we don't really write code. Well, it's all this PowerShell stuff you're making. Well, you know, a little PowerShell. <laughs> and a, a, a little hacky bash or yeah. a, a Python script here or there. Right, or they get sucked into the chef world, they get sucked into the pu puppet world. And I mean, then you're really talking language. And again, it's like putting source control in place is, you know, creating more repeatability, make it reliable. You actually know what's going to happen. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is. Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to spin up a joke container. Oh. All right. Let me see. I have a reference to reality. I have a service that adds an element of surrealism. <laughs> and finally, a little humor. Yeah, joke. Ah, screw it. I'll just use Azure. <laughs>
Ah, <laughs> uh, joke is a service. Jazz. Come on, I just came up with that in the last minute. That's awesome. pretty good. I bet that exists. <laughs> joke is a service? Oh, for sure. Because there's already Git commit as a service. Git yeah, commit. yeah, So you yeah. get your different commit messages. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's time to give away a Component One Studio to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Whether you're building the most modern touch-enabled apps or maintaining and updating legacy applications, Component One's flagship product, Component One Studio, helps to deliver rich, responsive desktop and web apps on time and under budget. Check them out at Component One. That's O N E dot com. Nice. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Marco Rudolph. Congratulations, Marco. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for you, And those you, obnoxious Marco. things you're hearing are the clappers. The clappers. The clappers are obnoxious. We, we ought to take some video of the clappers. The They're clappers. Pretty, pretty cool. We've All right. Had them for a while. Yeah. Uh, well, Marco Rudolph just won the Component One Studio, a awesome product from Component One. Was Grape City before mm-hmm. it was Data Dynamics. Yep. It was the first advertiser on .NET Rocks Way with Active when. Reports. Yeah. Uh, a great company. And uh, if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, but you got to sign up to win. And Paul, it's your turn. I know you weren't ready for this, but if you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? I would actually do something like fit my home out with IoT kit so that I can watch what my dog does when I leave nice. the house. Hey, and, and with the remaining $5,000 or $4,000, you can hire Troy Hunt to come and secure it for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be amazing just, just to see what a dog does when there's no one at home. That is really cool, actually. Put a little camera on your dog. It'd be great. Oh, have yeah. you seen GoPro, those? GoPro's, GoPro's on the dog. Yeah. They have the, I've seen the videos. Really? Yeah. yeah. People put the GoPro on the dog and they let him out and they see what the dog does. I really want that. I act, the, uh, that's what I would spend my $5,000 on. Wow. A GoPro for a dog. Now you need a $4,000 computer to edit the video. Nice. <laughs> there, was a a, uh, there was a study at University of Virginia where they put those cameras on cats. Oh, yeah. And they found out that 25% of the cats that went outside were like serial murderers. Oh, like, really? Not Just, only did they kill things, but they killed for fun. Like they didn't eat them or anything. And oh, they, they killed do. a lot of things. There was a whole bunch of cats that didn't kill anything. They play with their food. Yeah. I mean, it's not even but food. It was, but it wasn't even food. It was like, yeah, no, there's a certain class yep. of cat that's like kills six small critters a day, every day. My old know. cat Slippy was like that. Just Slippers. A, just a murder. Thing took down a squirrel one day. Nice. Squirrel was bigger than the cat. <laughs> Took it down. <laughs> Come on, we see this slippy eating the squirrel. <laughs> At least he was eating it. Oh, well, okay. yeah, that's true. We you also know? saw him batting birds around <laughs> just for fun. They are sadistic little bastards, yeah. aren't they? Now, you know, when you die, your dog mourns beside you. Your cat tries to eat your face. There's, there's a difference. Anyway, you know, the great thing about going down the IoT path is you can spend as much money as you want that's on true. that, right? Oh, it's yes. like an infinite sinkhole of, of experimentation and cost. <laughs> oh, it really is. Yeah. We can put accelerometers on each dog's le- on each leg of the dog. Right? So when it scratches itself, you can That's find it. out how many RPMs he's got. Or making sure that each leg runs at the same speed. <laughs> I have a, my dog definitely has an asymmetrical run. I've looked and at it. And if he doesn't, you install it. a servo on one go. of them. Just, tight, just tighten that screw. 
Just make him run a little faster. <laughs> Tweak of the dog. <laughs> this is what happens when, when, you know, it's the last show of the day. Yep, and we've, we've got make, some... We're making a lot of shows yeah. today. All right. Uh, it's, uh, let's dive back into the cloud side of things. Uh, management tools. Any unification between the clouds? Or is it each stack you use, different set of rules? This is what I use Terraform for. Uh, okay. So Terraform helps here. Terraform is the HashiCorp tool. It has a DSL. Right. And under the hood, it's making the calls to the, the specific In, cloud provider right. APIs. So it doesn't matter if it's Azure or DigitalOcean or Joyent or AWS. It's the same style of DSL across the top, and you just push the different uh, configuration parameters into Now, you just said nice. a, mentioned a couple of clouds that I don't know about. So I know about Azure. I know about AWS and Google Cloud. What are these other ones? So Joyent is um, a company based out of San Francisco. J-O-Y-A-N-T? E-N-T. 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 And they are providing uh, a new cloud-based system, uh, which is pretty awesome. And they have a, an, a CLI tool called Triton. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a quite a young cloud, but it's um, Brian Cantrell. I don't know if you know Brian. No. Nope. Uh, Brian is one of the guys who was originally involved in FreeBSD. Ah, and he's right. been around for a while. And he, Hi, Brian, if you're listening. Uh, he, uh, he's... He's very well respected in the uh, unikernel sort of thought processes okay. and, on, and that side of things. Great. And um, so that, that's the company he's involved with. And the other cloud I mentioned was DigitalOcean. Yeah, mm -hmm. I which, have heard of them. Yeah. And, uh, but tell us about them anyway. So DigitalOcean is, uh, it feels in the same sort of vein as the way Heroku would work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That you would ask for a droplet and the droplet is of a specific configuration, so yeah. a number of CPUs, a, no, you know, a size, and a location. And it's, it, it, again, it, it, it's quite a, a lower scale, you know, younger cloud, but mm. it, it improves all the time. They've just released their newest data center in mm. India, wow. Which, wow. Is, which is pretty awesome. And, no no um, cattle there. <laughs> no cattle there. And uh, they're, they're doing some really, really cool things. Uh, yeah. To, to make it simpler, again, for developers, just they spin, spin systems up. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so this tool that you mentioned, what was it called again? Terraform. Terraform. This is a management tool that allows you to, to hit all of these clouds at the same time. Yeah. So you would declare a very simple Terraform file, which is a, has a .tf extension mm -hmm. uh, under the hood. Uh, Terraform uses graph theory to work out the order is that a graph database? No. So it actually has like an internal graph uh, theory that walks the tree oh, up and down. Oh, oh literally and it, theory. Yes. And it, it, it will actually work out that this has to happen before this step because you have a dependency between each other. Oh, neat. So hmm. in Azure, for example, it will know to create the resource group first before it creates virtual networks. Mm. And it'll be able, it'll have to create storage accounts before it can create VM scale sets and right. so on. So it, it, it will literally walk the tree. And because there is a tree in a graph, you can draw it and that is your documentation. And it knows the order it needs to be in. Exactly. Yeah. So do you have customers that say, we want this piece of our system in Azure and this piece in AWS and this piece in Google and... You and they spread it out among the clouds. Is that I see? We do that, right? And it, it, we didn't decide to do that, but our files are hosted in Amazon. Our web services and websites are in in Azure, and we didn't choose to do this. Just sort of the way it you know happened. Mm -hmm. But if I had to do it over again, I'd probably move everything to one cloud, just because you're you have a single point of, of failure where you you know you had now you have multiple points of failure. Yep. What, what do you think? So. 
I, for, for something like this, I would, um, you, could, you can use a Terraform module for this, mm -hmm. wrap it up, create an interface mm -hmm. for the module so that developers can effectively code against the Terraform module API. Mm. And then under the hood, you can be changing it as many times as you want. Interesting. So it's, it's exactly the same as creating like a third-party library or coding against a, a DLL that, is, that you've downloaded from NuGet, and you can still have the, the efficiency that the, the, the sysadmins, the people who actually need to care, or you know, if business decisions happen and you do have to move clouds, yeah. they can change it under the hood and the developers are abstracted away from it. Nice. So you do have customers that, that split up their systems among cloud Some, providers? Yes. Um, so you'll find people who will have their compute in one and they'll have their... Um, DNS in another, yeah. and then you will maybe have storage in another one. Completely. Now, I get that if it's like Hadoop or something like that, where you're doing, you know, that's the only thing that does what it does. Yeah. But do you think it's a good idea to split things up like that? Maybe DNS, yes. DNS, um, DNS I would say, is a good candidate for replication. And CDN as well. But that's, yeah. but that's not, you know, fragmentation. No, no, no. no. It's, just, it, it, it's just a really good way of uh, being able to have redundancy in case your provider yeah. goes down. Because you've got to do localization anyway for speed. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. I think content delivery networks are, are, are probably the one that you can yeah, split you really easily across multiple providers. Well, and, and you've seen that in the marketplace today. I mean, once upon a time, there was only Akamai. Now there's a ton a ton yeah. of CDN providers, and a lot Joe's. of them are just using cloud. Yeah. Right? Joe's Under discount the CDN. <laughs> yeah. Well, Azure has one. AWS has yeah. one. Cloudflare. Yeah. Uh, Akamai. You, you know, you, you can count so many of these systems, and if you can spread your, your, your system across them, then why would you not do it, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but let's talk about the millions of other businesses that aren't in that category. Like, you know, somebody wants to do it. Just a system. Let's say it's a, I don't know, you know, it's shopping cart system or something like that you know why would you put a set of services in azure and then a set of services in aws and maybe some files in google and we're you know thinking that might be helpful or safe but now if any one three of those goes down now your whole system is down you're you're increasing your complexity you're increasing by doing right. your complexity and your risk i think yeah 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 and, that, and isn't that interesting because you went to the cloud in the first place for its reliability yeah now you're adding yeah, all yeah. There's no complexity. You know, the other approach to this that I've certainly talked to some customers about is I want that cloud architecture, but I want it on-premise. Yeah. My hardware. Oh, yeah. You know, everything virtualized with failover. For many know. good reasons, including legal. Yeah. So, like, your Azure stack or your OpenStack or cloud stack. Well, I wish you were that organized. I think it's just VMs on your own hardware <laughs> at this point, right? As long as it can be automated, it doesn't matter, right? Right, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's if people get into the mindset of, doing the hard work to automate it, it doesn't matter where it, where it gets deployed. It's just then a configuration detail of it's this provider or that provider. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where we have to go to as an industry. And I think that's much more of the future of what we're going to do. As yeah, an and, and as much as there might be you know, reasons inside of an organization for on-prem, pretty quickly you find out you, you can't do real cloud tricks, public cloud tricks mm -hmm. with your on-premise gear. Yeah, any given instance doesn't have to live in any server. You can move them around. But I think of the, the, the bulk testing scenario. It's like, I need 500 instances for the next half an hour. It's like, we don't have that many. We're never going to be able to do that. I mean, the classic hybrid example I can think of is where everything is in the cloud except the data. Data's got to be on-prem for legal reasons and whatever. I'm sure you see this a lot. I see that every time. Yeah. Um, so many people are worried about the security of their data in the yeah. cloud as well. 
And Plus, it gives their IT guys a few more years of work. Yeah. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? Because IT, you know, we talk about this on Run S Radio all the time. It's like, your job's not going away. It's just looking different. Yeah. Somebody still has to shepherd that stuff in the cloud, too, right? If anything, right. it gives them more time to focus on making it better. Well, yeah, exactly, because there's so it, much to do. But it could also mean that a staff of 10 now becomes a staff of one. I understand that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that that's true, because I've never seen any ID department get through their whole backlog. Well, I tell you what, this, this, this show in particular is one where I really want to see what the comments end up like. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure what we've talked about here and what you've talked about, Paul, is going to elicit some opinions. Let's, let's hear. What your, what's your situation? You mm-hmm. agree, disagree, anything that we said? I think that's, uh, you know, I, I can't wait to see what the comments are. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um it is a very subjective nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You'll have people who will have their favorite cloud provider. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Well, and it's the one you know. You know, it's the one. It, it, again, it comes down to just whatever adds value for you. There are some features missing. Um, sure, and and their mm-hmm. a, a approach to doing things. You know, I think Microsoft's worked very hard to be a one-stop shop, and Amazon's never seems to worry about that. There's all kinds of para- providers around AWS provision that and then you get into the Heroku there's one way to use us kind of mindset it's like this is the way you know and you can work with us if that makes sense to you and I know a lot of people who have, have tried out multiple clouds and they've become familiar and happy with one specific cloud on over one. the other yeah and they'll and they'll use that forever more amen and they'll evangelize that cloud that that's the only way of, of doing it Yep. And that'll continue. Yeah, that's just a disease in technology in general, <laughs> right? It's one right way mentality. And, in, and with any luck, it's based on you've had success. Because the reality with the way the public cloud's running right now is like chances of you scaling a site high enough to actually make a dent in that space is pretty low. You know, most of the demand that we're ever going to need is not even coming close, which is why we can sort of afford to be inefficient. I, I think we'll never. Let me rephrase that. We should never run out of compute yeah. for our specific service. We may run out of compute for a specific cloud, right? but that's abstracted away from us, and we shouldn't really be worried about that. Like right. That's a business for the cloud provider, yeah. and if they're not on top of that, then there's bigger problems. Yeah, there's yeah, right? way better, more important things to deal with from there. Yeah. How about we talk about sort of the failover story? I've decided to be on two clouds. So now I need to answer two questions. How do I know when I'm down? And how do I fail over or, or, you know, switch all traffic to one side or another? So monitoring and alerting is something that is is really not given as much love as it should. Right. Um, There are many people who create their own custom ones, which is great. And, you know, whatever whatever application they need to use in order to monitor an alert, then that's perfect. Yeah, right. Piotr, the guy who uh, gave us the, yeah, Warden. Yeah. And that's exactly what he's doing. And uh, the, the trouble is, is that company, it, monitoring and alerting is not a first class thought. Mm. It's, right. the, it's what happens after something goes live. Sure. It's gotta be something to monitor. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas it's not being, a lot of software is not designed in order to be monitored right. easily and efficiently. Right. right. And if, if we got into the, the process of thinking about what do we actually care about, mm-hmm. what, you know, what should the application health be able to tell us, then it's just a matter of creating the correct dashboard. Yeah. And this is actually a really good place of where you could do the fragmentation, right. is that if you have your application in AWS, mm. you probably wouldn't want your monitoring and alerting system to be in AWS, yeah, because if right. it goes down, you've lost everything. But, yeah. You would probably want it to be in another location. Or on-prem. Or on-prem. Yeah. Oh, and if you think of something like status page, 
you know, where you can put end user messages right. out there about the status of your health. Um, you're not going to put that in the same place where if your data center could go down. Sure. At that point, you would need that as a th at least on a third-party provider yeah. so that you could still relay those messages. Yeah, true that. Be separated enough. And I haven't seen, well, there's, there's a new operations management suite coming out of Microsoft that's supposed to support all the clouds. Mm -mm. But it is brand new. Wow. And it's coming out of the system center team, out of the operations manager side. Wow, I wonder if it's going to cost as much as SCOM. Yeah, Probably well, not. I would <laughs> hope not. But There's some great tools in this area, though. Like, yeah. You know, uh, some of the monitor and alert and logging tools right now the, are getting the better. New and better. Relic, did it? You, uh, you got New Relic, you got App Dynamics, yeah. you got yeah. Datadog, you've right. got uh, b Bound, uh, well, what, what was Boundary, it's now uh, BMC. Right. Mm -hmm. You've got, you know, of the logging tools like Splunk, you know, you've got some fantastic tooling in the area. And a lot of that has to do with pick what you like, what you know, too, right? Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. A number of people I've met who. They've only pre they've only ever played with preemptive analytics. Right. It came in the box in Visual Studio, yeah. but it means it needs a dev to deploy because it gets compiled into the DLL, and then you know the sort of some you've got to set up your own server or use theirs. Like there's some games you have to play to to there's, actually get the inspiration. There's some dev and there's some ops. Right? Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> so Paul, well, what's next for you? What do you what's in your inbox, man? Um, so I have uh, some more evangelizing about building systems in the cloud over the next few weeks. Yes. I'm going to be... It is a season. It is very much conference season. I'm very excited to be able to go to Sydney. Um, oh, yeah, NBC, NBC Sydney. Sydney. We yeah. will not be there, no, but I hope so, you have a good time. I'm really excited to go there, and I'm uh, really excited to get the opportunity as well at the same time to go on to New Zealand. Oh, sure. And, yeah, uh, next sector. Yeah, and then speak to uh, some of the people at ScaleConf in New Zealand, mm -hmm. uh, which should be really good fun. And... Uh, but more importantly for me, I actually like to build systems. Right. There's no point in me standing up and telling people what's a really good way of doing it unless I actually do it on a day-to-day -day yeah, basis. That's yeah. true. Because sure. you can evangelize everything you, you want, but until you actually have experience that you can feed back, mm -hmm. then they could really realistically read it in a blog post. Right. Yeah. True enough. Well, that's great, Paul. Thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thank you for having me. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter van.